Thanks today talking about Tenet. Jared is here and Brett is back. Welcome back, Brett. Thank you. Good to see you again. Our resident movie expert, Brett Cannon. That's right, yeah. <laughs> or the John guy, Trilogy. The guy who just spends uh, too much time watching movies with his wife. Well, movies are fun to watch, I hear. I've been told. And for the listener's sake, there will be heavy spoilers. Oh, yeah. Which gives me a chance to introduce our new friend, Paul. Hello. A.K.A. Definition and the host of Heavy Spoilers on YouTube. So we thought Paul would be fun because Jared, Brett, and I, we've talked movies quite a bit in the breaks of our podcast and on backstage. But we thought it would make sense to, like, invite a legit person who talks about movies. So I'm a big fan of Heavy Spoilers, so big fan of you. So welcome to Backstage here on The Changelog. Yeah, we were saying before the show that you you kind of wanted to get Christopher Nolan on, but you couldn't. So you've just resorted to getting Mm. a British guy who knows a bit about Tenet, which (laughs) is sort of good, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. You know, the one thing I thought I think I'll open up real quick, just since you mentioned that, is is it true that Tenet was a big push to grow your audience and other YouTuber audience? Because I see people who talk about movies, they legit have like a Tenet playlist, but they'll just have like categorical playlists otherwise. Yeah. So like Tenet was a big deal for most movie reviewers, from what I understand. Yeah, definitely, because there's so much to unpack from it, and it's it's really difficult to get your head around unless you sit and just think about it properly. And it's probably easier to just get someone to explain it to you. But a lot of the time I'll explain it and people will still be like, I have no idea what you've just said, but whilst you were saying it, it did sound like it made sense. Right. Yeah. I also remember when it came out, I don't know uh, what the stage of the pandemic was for everyone else, but up here in Canada, it was right. It was the first film to kind of come out after the first wave when there was still kind of hope there was only there was no concept of waves. It was just COVID at that point. And so yeah. I remember that was the other big deal when it came out was all the reviewers were going like, is this the future of movies? Is this going to save movie theaters and all this on mm-hmm. top of the complexity and all that? But also just is this what movies are going to be like going forward in terms of audience attendance and such? And is this going to be when we start going back? Obviously, the answer was no, but. Remember that was a big part of this film as well. In terms, there of was even some controversy around that too with Christopher Nolan with uh-huh. uh, with HBO Max and how it could be released and essentially how HBO Max has moved to this stream and release in the theater same time frame. And he was totally against that because he's probably a purist, you know, in terms of being a director. And I don't know all the details there, but you but, know, there's a lot even in the film. I think with which we'll probably get into deeply because we'll talk about score and cinematography and. Whether or not you can actually hear the dialogue, because I understand if you went in the theater, if you are one of those people no. brave enough, and Paul, I think you watched it for the first time in the theater, right? Yeah, I watched it twice uh, in the theater. I watched it once on a normal screen, and I couldn't hear anything. Oh. And I, I remember sitting, uh, going home in my car, and thinking, how am I going to write this script? Because I have no idea what's just <laughs> what's been said. Makes um, your job hard, right? Yeah, I went and saw an, uh, in IMAX, and it was a lot better. I think they mastered the audio for IMAX and just didn't think about anything else. Of course, yeah. And uh, Chris, the thing with Christopher Nolan is a lot of his movies, he has characters wearing masks and talking. Um, Batman, obviously. Bane was a big issue um, in 2012. And the the movie starts off with everyone wearing a gas mask. They take them off for a bit and then they have to put them back on to go back into the past and there's just so many scenes that are really badly mixed um and people are wearing gas masks as well so you can't it's they purposely muffled the sound 
to make it sound like it's a gas mask. And uh, yeah, it's a really difficult writing a script coming out of yeah. the cinema and just thinking, I have no idea what has just been said. It's kind of frustrating as a as a moviegoer with that yeah. kind of scenario. Like if a director is purposefully sure. making it difficult to hear and understand it, maybe that, Jared, might be the reason why you're less of a you know fanboy like I might be with Tenet and for sure like Paul is with Tenet. Well, I have an angle on this because I did not watch it in the theater. I watched it at my house with subtitles on, oh, good one. which is my new old man move. I just throw them on because <laughs> I can't hear what they're talking about half the time. And we, we like to keep it low because the kids are sleeping and all that. So I had subtitles on, which kind of makes it feel it's less enjoyable because you're like mm-hmm. reading and you're you're it's almost like homework. So maybe that played into why this was not my favorite Christopher Nolan film of all times. I did, but we can get into that later. I don't remember if it was with Christopher Nolan or his sound editor, but they he one of them made the comment that they actually purposely made it untenable because the point was you couldn't hear them normally anyway, so it was kind of meant to kind of be more realistic in terms of the the cinescape, as it were, on the street. Which it mm. sounds like all of us kind of agree. So it's kind of yeah, no, it's a bit. I don't know. Yeah. I found it find it really frustrating with Nolan films when I've heard them like. I know Batman was like a perfect case of this. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, exactly. I want to know what they're saying in case it's something critical, especially in a film yeah. like this, where it's like almost yeah. every word mm-hmm. uttered can play into what something means. So it's like, don't let someone <laughs> mumble that I can't hear. Going on. As much as I know, that was like the key piece of information for the rest of the film. So. Yeah, exactly. The, and it's such a complex film. It's not like Transformers where you you can probably sit on your phone and still understand it. You need to be paying attention to this uh, on your first watch. The movie might actually be better without the without the yeah. actual <laughs> words. So just to be clear, it was not a pun. It was a pun, but also not a pun. We will be putting out heavy spoilers. So if you're listening mm-hmm. to this and you haven't watched the film and you're like, I don't want it to be ruined... You should have stopped a while back, I'm sure, to some degree, but definitely stop from this point on and just go watch it and come back and listen to this. It'll be more enjoyable. But, um, you know, I think that's probably the case. That is like I haven't I didn't see the film in a theater myself. Uh, now, I do happen to have a theater like scenario in my house. I literally have a theater room in my house that has a projector and stuff like that. So I've gotten the next best thing. I watched it on the 4K Blu-ray that came out. Um. I didn't have that uh, the audio issue. I haven't watched it with subtitles, Jared. But I, you know, I really feel for people who've chosen to watch the film in that kind of scenario because the the score alone is phenomenal. the The booming and the blasting. I mean, that's just sort of like it's a hallmark for Christopher Nolan to have such a you know awesome score and just have you know a lot of action on the scene and you know. Sound and audio going with that. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, as much as I like the film, watching it not in a scenario where you can really fully hear everything. So Yeah. But you're watching a theater, IMAX, you're watching it at home with subtitles. Either way, you got to enjoy the film. So let's go with, let's start with watch count. Let's start with Jared. How many times mm. have you watched the film, Jared? Almost once. <laughs> Not once. I made it through. I made it through, but it took me three sittings. Okay. It was very heavy and dense, and 
I had to sit down and pay close attention and read the subtitles. So it was it was a long film, and we always watch movies at the end of the night. And so I was not going to make it through in a single sitting. So it was a couple of sittings. I've seen it one time. I've also since read a little bit more about it since then. But I'm definitely the probably the outlier if we're going to take a poll here amongst the four of us. Just once. Brett, how about you? How many times did you watch it? Uh, two and a half. Okay. I watched it once with my wife, Andrea, and her parents. And then in prep for this, and then when this when our recording got postponed due to vacations and such, I started to watch it in the mornings, like little like 20 minutes chunks. And then when I got about halfway through, I went and saw my in-laws again. And so it's going my my father-in-law, who honestly probably would be a better guest on this than me, is now subsequently watched it like five times and has become like Adam level addicted to all the details about Tenet. Um, sure. Such that when I visited once and my uh, wife and mother-in-law went out to go do something, I said, oh, I'm going to be going to still do this recording at this date. So, and it, what do you want? We should talk about it. I was like, no, no, it's not talk about it. Let's just go watch it again. So I just went down and watched the whole thing all over again with them. Nice. So okay. I've, yeah, two and a half for me. And so did he afterwards tell you what to talk about here on the show? Did he give you notes? No, because it turns out we actually... Is his name Cliff, by any chance? No, we've talked about it, but he actually has also said he disagrees with some of my interpretations of the film. So he said, no, no, I'll just let you go in and talk about the way you want. We can just talk about it after. Okay. Let's save that then, because I've got a big continuity issue and i'm hoping maybe paul can solve it for me because if not it's definitely an issue yeah I have and one paul too. maybe you've already identified several continuity issues just film wise not so much story wise but film wise like this should have been yeah. that way filming if they're carrying the storyline i've got a couple of those uh, at least one okay uh paul how many have you how many times have you watched Tenet? oh double figures close to 20 times i would say watched it quite a lot it's kind of my background film as well when i'm just doing something i just want something in the background that i can follow quite easily (laughs) which sounds a bit strange Ah. but just it just goes in one big loop that's all it is Mm -hmm. just one big loop so background being like you're putting on your laptop or something like that yeah behind the scenes away films is the sound up is just is this the movie playing yeah just the movie playing just in the background and then because as complex as it is, I think once you get your head around the um, the concepts and the way that the timeline works, it actually it all fits together really well, and it's mm-hmm. just quite easy to follow along. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but it's just yeah, everything has a knock on effect that leads to the the loop starting over, mm-hmm. and that's all it is basically. Okay, the, well, you're, you're definitely keying into the fact Neil. that there's palindromes in here and Tenet yeah. ends where it begins, it begins where it ends, basically, which is yeah. really, it really throws you as your a first watcher. Yeah, I think, and so this is my perspective, and this is why I think I like this film so much, because I really like to dig into certain films, is that uh, there's just so many layers to it, if you desire to pursue them. You know, if you're somebody who isn't that passionate about films, it makes sense to watch it once or not fully once or in certain scenarios or in the case of Brett, like having a follow-in-law drag you back through it again and give you some questions to answer or ask on a podcast totally makes sense. I think I've maybe watched it. Um, 
I want to say double digits potentially, but it's more, I think I'm similar where it's like a background movie and yeah. maybe less because I'm, I'm definitely not a movie reviewer. I'm just more of a enjoyer. Um, I'd say at least fully watched it, like literally sat down and watched it end to end. I'd say maybe five times for real watching it. Yeah. But other times it's been a background movie. So maybe not quite double digits actually watching it. Um, let's call that six because I did watch it mostly last night as prep to some degree just to get reacclimated to a lot of the different things in the movie just to make sure, hey, I, I watched that movie. And actually to go one layer deeper because Christopher Nolan, um, I went back and watched Memento, uh, Inception, not that you need to, to grasp Tenet, but I think I've become for sure a Christopher Nolan fan and uh, even – even Interstellar, like Interstellar is a phenomenal film. Like the guy just makes really great movies that I always enjoy. I've probably watched Interstellar way more than I've watched Tenet. Like it's just the best, not so much best story-wise, but definitely best like if you're imagining space and the, all the possibilities and the real science. There's also a book, um, The Science of Interstellar. Um, I can't recall the, the physicist's. Who wrote that book? I'll tell you in a second, unless somebody knows and can tell me. Oh, Kip Thorne? Kip Thorne. Yeah, Kip Thorne. By the way, so The Adam, Science of Interstellar is doing... on my Audible, and I've listened to that as my sleeper soundtrack for years, essentially. I mean, like, I'll listen to, you know, the the theory of black, you know, black holes or, you know, wormholes or, you know, whether the science is true or not as, like, my going to sleep material. So I just can't help it. By the way, Adam, if you keep doing these backstages, you might have to start saying you're at least a part-time movie reviewer. Not, we're, I'm not comparing ourselves <laughs> to Paul at all here, but maybe I'm a, a just a talker with friends. Let's just say. It, well, it's like all those people who say, "Oh, I'm not a programmer. I just write scripts." And then you just eventually just <laughs> written enough that actually you are. You just never change the label. Okay, touche. I'll admit that then. Right. But but my thing would be, I would not want to pull down what Paul has done because he's definitely a movie reviewer. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You know, part, so, time, I mean, part time. Yeah, part time. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the <laughs> PT time. on yeah. there. Aspiring. Paul's trying to get a list just to kind of give the audience a perspective of how many, and maybe you have some in the wings, but I'm curious just how many in your playlist of oh, reviews you've know, done for 10. Honest. I think at least eight from my count. Yeah, got to be at least eight. And I was thinking of doing some more just of like really obscure details in it that I've noticed. Um, there's, yeah, at least eight. Wait, I'm looking now. Yeah, there's about, <laughs> I think there's about I'm trying to look without 18. making it autoplay 18. on me. 18. 18? Yeah. So I've done, wow. I've talked about the movie quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. What is uh, What has been your favorite subject of the, the film so far? Probably is Neil really Cat's son. Okay. Um, I think Let's that go there then. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... Fine. There's so there's so much evidence for it. Um, obviously, Robert Pattinson dyes his hair in the film. Well, he has his, a different haircut, um, and that is very much very similar to Max, um, who is Kat's son. And this this it's very very layered. Uh, there's so many different strands you can pull on. He, he speaks Estonian, which and it also has a British accent similar to Kat's. Um, obviously, if he had a, a a father who was Estonian and a mother who was English, he would be bilingual. Um, the the name Maximilian, if you take the last four 
letters of it and reverse it. They're, they spell Neil. Um, when he first meets the protagonist, he says, would you take a woman and child hostage? Um, which is obviously referring to Cat and Max um, to see kind of what kind of guy he is. Uh, the protagonist at the end, he's obviously goes off with Ma- uh, Max and Cat. Uh, and this follows on from Neil saying that they ha- this is the start of a, a, a wonderful friendship. And there's, there's so many things. Um, I wish I'd brought my notes, to be honest, but just that those are just the main ones off the top of my head. Okay. Um, that he's kind of the, the right-hand man to the protagonist, which if the protagonist was, you know, did start a relationship with Kat, her son would very much, you know, grow into that role with having him as a father figure. The only challenge to hmm. that theory, and I don't disagree with it because there is so much evidence for it, is just that Kat does not act like she she knows Neil. Yeah, I, I think but you would she know wouldn't your at son. this point. Yeah, mate. Well, I don't However, know if he was older. I have a well. You know, he took care of her on the gurney. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of care there. I mean, there's a lot of interaction. There isn't like oh, you know, there's no mother son evident relationship to my opinion. But yeah. I got a but to this. It may play into the other theory that Cat is the true future protagonist, which you've yeah. done a video about. Because if she yeah. was that future protagonist, then she would not act in such a way because, uh, you know, the protagonist role doesn't know yet these things. And if he did know, remember, there's one sort of underlying tenet of the movie, um, which is, you know, the sense of ignorance. They keep knowledge from each other. It's their ammunition, they say. You know, ignorance is our ammunition. So if she was the future protagonist, then she would act like she doesn't know him. Yeah, but she might not even know she's the future protagonist because at the end of the movie, she's just leaving messages for people. True, yeah. Which she they know don't yet. carry out, and okay. she might not even know. So why do you think then if, if that theory is true then, that if he is Max, Max is her son, she, the whole movie is about her love for him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a mother-son relationship. And the protagonist's role, essentially, he steals art to save her so that she can maintain that relationship the whole, you know, while we're in the story of tenant and future past, present, whatever inversion, all that good stuff, it's really boils down to their relationship. Why do yeah. you think then she acts like she doesn't know him? Uh, no, no, she doesn't know that she's the future protagonist. That's the thing. So she's, but wouldn't she version. know her son though, is my point. No, well, not if he's older. She wouldn't put two into. She's uh-huh. discovering. I don't kind know about that. Do you have kids? No. I would know my son, hundred percent. If he showed up, like, <laughs> and four maybe years that's old. the perspective. Is like I would for sure know my older son, unless he had like cosmetic surgery or there was some sort of freak accident, and somehow Neil today or Neil today as we know him in the in the film is the older Neil, um, because he's not Max. If he looks significantly different, that will be the only reason she should not act like he's her son. So I think as a father, I would totally know my kid. Do they suggest how old Max is in the film? No, I'd say about 20s, 25, maybe 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a kid, though, with All right. Kat. Um, yeah, he's about eight, I would say. Yeah, he's in he like looks- a school uniform that makes him look like 
he's not in primary school. So probably he enough to have some personality quirks that you could theoretically pick up on unless you're trying to cover your tracks to not screw things yeah. up with your past mom by trying to not act like yourself. I mean, she'd just been shot and she was heavily drugged up as well on the gurney and he doesn't say goodbye to her before he sets off to the mission. He could also just be could, rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the one. So uh, that's where the pl- plot hole is for me on that theory is, is if that's true, m- my question is understanding why there isn't some sort of relationship there, despite him being older. That, that to me is just a, a challenge. But Cat being the future protagonist, you did a whole film on this, which is, is that maybe your second best video? Yeah, what that, that your was second? just something I noticed. Um, just her calling water. and leaving messages. And then when you really start to think about it, the, the Tenet organization requires a massive bankroll, which she would have just inherited from her dead husband. Mm. Um, so it would that would have the cost. She obviously knows how invasion works firsthand. And the protagonist doesn't really have much agency. I don't see him as someone who would be making the decisions. I see Kat more as kind of the... Because the protagonist, in many ways, is very much working for Kat in Tenet. Um, He's not doing it for himself. She's instructing him what to do and why killing Sator is so important. Um, And that kind of just makes me think that the way the the ending is where she's calling the shots on the phone um, by leaving him messages in the past that or let messages in the future so he can go back to the past and kill Priya. That just makes me think that she's the one in the future who's doing everything. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting concept itself too, because this whole idea of that, if you put a record into, you know, the fact that we're doing this show, it's recorded on logs on Riverside FM, for example, like we've put a message into the future because we now have evidence of an act of an action happening, an event happening. Yeah. And because of that evidence today, the evidence is proclaimed in the future. So future knows immediately the moment, you know, think about like, you know, 20 years from now being written to some degree. What happens mm-hmm. today, they know about 20 years from now because of the record today. It's yeah. very challenging. This whole concept of how Christopher Nolan used this concept of just, just time, I suppose, in, in general, the entropy of the world um, to the advantage of the plot because – you know, like you had said, maybe at the point when at the very end of the film, when Kat calls the protagonist, you know, she's leaving a record in the future. He actually is in the future coming back inverted to kill Priya, which is, you know, a lot of things to unpack there. But, you know, I think it's uh, it's interesting. One thing that you'd mentioned in terms of the uh, of the Neil plot line in terms of being Max, that first meeting of Neil and the protagonist what I find really interesting for people who haven't gone as deep as I have and definitely as deep as you've gone, Paul, is just how the inversion time works. You know, in terms of like they had a relationship, but that was their first meeting. You know, despite, yeah. you know, Neil going far in his future and then inverting and going back into his, you know, into the protagonist's past, all that good stuff. That was the moment that in the timeline of the world that those two actually met despite yeah. there actually being a future in the past, as he says, as he says at the end, can you unpack some ideas there? So break you guys some ne- thoughts. Oh no, yeah, I Neil just is, want to know, how do oh, you sorry. know that is officially the first meeting? 
Well, because well, we, I guess you don't know officially, and Paul, you could probably speak to this, but you know the reason the reason why the plot line or the theory exists that Neil is Max is because he asked the protagonist then, would you hold a woman or child hostage? And so yeah. story-wise, that's when they first met, but they have a deeper relationship that goes into other factors of the timeline of their lives yeah. because that's the first time they actually met. I, to I, the protagonist. The From the protagonist's point of view, that's right. the first time they met. But Neil's Neil is basically moving backwards through time. Right. So that's – okay, that's the clarification the I want to make, mm-hmm. make sure is, yeah. yes, for the protagonist too is – John David Washington, for anyone who always forgets that we never know his actual name in the movie. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely his first. I'm just, I want to make sure that my understanding was the same as it's not Neil's first time meeting the protagonist because no. they probably met way in the past. And this is just happens in the timeline for uh, the protagonist to be his first time. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Paul's correct. Perspective wise, the protagonist, that it's from his perspective, that's the first time he meets Neil. Yeah. And Neil's already had a, a long-standing relationship with a version of him in the future. Right. That's why he knows what he drinks, how he acts. Yeah, exactly. He's like, no, you don't. He's very, you know, sh- yeah. sure. Like, no, you don't. And that, no. that's, that's another kind of hint towards it being Max because the, all the other Tenet agents that we meet don't have a friendship, don't have a relationship, don't even really know each other's names, um, whereas those two do, which... Yeah shows how close they actually are because the the guy that you meet on the boat at the start no idea what he's called the scientist i've seen her get called barbara but then get called other things um ives he pretty much doesn't want to know anything about them and bar those two characters pretty much everyone is very standoffish because the more that they know about each other the more that they get compromised any record that they leave can get picked up by the future so it's best to just not write anything down, not make a note of anything, and just kind of keep as distant as possible. Mm-hmm. What other are your favorite uh, videos you've created? What other plot lines are your favorite to sort of key on? Um, I quite like, explain the film through the lens of what your interests might be, because I'm sure they'll help us tease out the details of the movie. Yeah, I quite like the the theory that. Sator is actually working for the future protagonist. Um, so the entire movie is basically a heist when you think about it. They're, whoever the future protagonist is, is trying to get Sator to collect all the pieces of the algorithm so that at the end of the film they can steal it and make it look like it's been buried. And Sator is getting messages from the future and he's believing them because they're coming with money and he thinks that there's an opposing side in all of this. But potentially that could just be the future protagonist yeah. sending back those things. And he obviously knows all of the spots where the, the containers are buried um, because he was he witnessed a lot of them or he was told by Sator. Like Sator told him at Stalsk 12 that he got this this container of gold, which Sator shouldn't be telling people because that's leaving a message for the future, which the protagonist could take and then use things to manipulate him with. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Can, can uh, So the future, this all began because a scientist essentially discovered inversion by creating an algorithm, and it's yeah. in this physical form. I don't understand why it's in a physical form, like, yeah, why, why either, these yeah. things have to be all together. But, Just as a movie thing. Right, exactly. Um 
CRISPR likes to use real science to some degree. I think I don't think inversion's possible, but I think if it was, it'd probably be like this. Except for there's certain actions a human would do, I just would not want to see inverted. But that's a different that's a different show. Um, <laughs> you know, when you think about this, a scientist created this algorithm sometime in the distant future, and it and this this entire plotline begins because they send the message back essentially to destroy this algorithm because this algorithm is responsible for the end of the world. And they're sending it back essentially to dismiss it from the future, to erase it essentially by putting it in the past, which sets off all this inversion, all this, you know, for lack of better terms, time travel, which is not really a time travel movie. It's more of a time movement movie. You move through time, you zigzag through it rather than actually travel. But uh, what do you think about that? So you just change direction. Um, But yeah, it's pretty much just a heist movie to me. Just a very, very complicated one where they have to get all the pieces put together and then steal it and make it look to say make it look to a version of Sator that his plan worked and that the algorithm was buried, which is why they let the explosion go off at the end. So this whole film, you got something to say, Jared? Well, it just doesn't make sense to me that it's not a time travel movie. I mean I would say it's a time travel, travel movie. Through, we all travel yeah. through time at one Second per second. Let me clarify. So if you say, that. "Well, you just you just er- invert and go backwards," I mean, isn't that not time travel? What I mean I by that say. is is not your traditional version of time travel, where like, uh, like hopping McFly, through different you have times. To, you have to literally. So let me explain why it's not necessarily, in my opinion, that way. It is you do travel through time, but it's not your traditional travel time movie or time travel movie, because you have to invert, and in real time, like you can't. What's that one to one when you write a CD like way back in the day? Like your 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 write time is exactly the same as your travel time, so you invert at the same amount of time. You you can't just like jump through a portal yeah. and suddenly be back ten years. You have to invert for ten years to go back ten years. There's no skipping. so that's why it's right. a, a zigzag. There's for no hopping yeah. right. exactly. Traditional sense of time travel tends to you know say that you hop through time, you jump into a new time zone, whereas here you have to invert for the same amount of time you want to go back. Based upon the yeah. the con- the constraints of inversion, oh, that's a fair point. And so that's why I say it's not your time travel movie. To clarify, typical time travel movie. Yeah, when typical. you when, when you drive, you said, your, when it's you, not time travel. That's why yeah. I, I took when you took, drag your position on the timeline as a slider, you can't suddenly pick up where you are and put it back down. Exactly. You have to still yeah. drag yourself back and forth on the timeline. It's so. Go over that two hours. You're still two hours older, even if only you went forward and back inverted. But yeah, right. you can't suddenly yeah lift yourself up and suddenly <laughs> pop into existence somewhere. Which for the Neil character has got to be the most interesting, you know, zigzag. If you have, yeah. oh yeah, you know, that there's is a part where the the theory falls down because yeah. you would have to be inverting for so either, long, either doing a week normally and then inverting a week or doing ten years or something. Right. There, uh, in the notes, I have a a visual explanation of inversion for the folks listening to this. You'll see this in your show notes. But I saw this on, um, what is his uh, his name? His name is, I think, Fa Dang, if that's said correctly, Ph Dang. Um, probably one of the best explanations visually of inversion. And while you can't hear the audio to this because it's just simply a still picture, it depicts two people's timeline. And if you watch this, you would see when they first meet, which is kind of like Neil and the protagonist. 
that their timelines sort of zigzag through time. And vertically, you're at the same point. You know, left is past, future is, is uh, or uh, right is future. And so if you can kind of see visually that the person on top, they actually die in the person's past despite them zigzagging and actually meeting a couple times. And so they actually yeah. have a lot of history despite him dying so early in the one person's point of view timeline. It's really yeah. challenging to sort of like – that's why I think this film is so interesting layers-wise because because of this, this uh, the way you can zigzag through time, so much can happen. To explain yeah. one more visual point here is the bottom person's timeline. As you can see, they go all the way to the right, and you can see that one person on top, his timeline goes away. Well, that's that's the point when he realizes his good friend – passed away and he searches and searches and searches for him. Then one day he finds this turnstile and zigs back, back through his own past, potentially to find this person, which he might eventually see them again. So it's just so interesting how you can like zigzag through time and use this as a, a, uh, a story plot. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It's, uh, yeah. But you would have had that person would have already had to have met you in the past. Everything in Tenet is set in stone. So everything that's happened, happened will happen. Yeah, exactly. What's, hap- can't what's actually happened? What's happened? Past. What's happened? I forget. How, th- yeah, how do you say it's, it? it? It's very deterministic. Yeah. Um, you can't go back and change the past. If you try to, it'll just play out the way that it was supposed to because you tried to stop it. So there's not really any free will in it. But there is a question over whether there is and people are kind of trying to fight against that. Mm. Which are the people in the future who want to destroy the past? Who do you think those people are? Because that's they seem to control a lot. They seem to control. If you believe, if you agree that uh, your theory is true that Sator was actually working for the protagonist, then you then you believe the protagonist is actually the one sending Sator the messages so that they can trick him essentially into assembling all the parts and then. Doing the big heist, as you mentioned, and the explosion happens at Stars 12, and everyone believes it was buried. So perception is belief, and if you believe that happened, then you believe that the the algorithm is is buried at the bottom of that explosion, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So Sator will always carry out those actions because he knows that the explosion happened at Stars 12. So he thinks that he, he he's on the right path, his past version anyway, when really he gets killed by Cat. Yeah. But there's, there's also other contingencies in place, such as the cyanide pill that he was going to take. Um, the protagonist obviously took that at the start of the movie, and it, we know that it doesn't work. So I think that was how Cat was able to kill him and get away with it, because no matter what, the pill never would have worked anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't work for the protagonist, yeah. so... yeah. Yeah, he's like, I got these from the CIA, right? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> they're just, they're just. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting too, as a, as a, that you would believe when you watch this that Sator's the most powerful person in the movie, right? Because he's got mm-hmm. all this money, all this information flying at him from the future, so he seems to be, you know, in the know and essentially far more than anybody else. But if your theory is true. That he's actually just simply a puppet and a pawn yeah. in somebody else's way, bigger though. plan and scheme. Yeah, so either way, he's being controlled by the future protagonist or the people from the future. Yeah. All he gets is a list of things to do yeah. and what to do, and that's it. 
So he, he doesn't really have any actual knowledge or agency mm-hmm. uh, on how to control things. He just gets told what to do. Yeah, he's only he only and knows be, what has been sent back to him versus Neil yeah. and such who actually go forward, who are forward in the future initially, understand the whole situation, and then travel back to try to deal with it. Sador never yeah. really does that back and forth beyond, it seems, the small snippet of time we see in the film versus characters like Neil who have done vast potentially vast amounts of time tra- not time travel but inversion to replay through these events to really have a full understanding of what occurred and what will occur and what has occurred and a yeah. much broader worldview of things that are occurring while we're on the subject of sator i want to mention this uh i, I guess christopher nolan's throwback to the joker whenever they're about to go into the car chase scene uh, you know, that scene actually is one of the most interesting scenes. Uh, I've actually taken the film, put it into uh, Adobe Premiere and inverted the film with sound too so that I can have an inverted version of the film. I don't know if you've done this, Paul, or not. Some of you have, but I had to because uh, that scene alone made me want to watch it from different directions. And it's just super challenging to watch the film that's going forward backwards. So I actually made a backwards version of the film to to kind of get that. That's the weirdo in me. But what I want to mention is his throwback to the Joker when he says, when Sator says, look at me. I don't know if this is actually yeah. true or not. When he screams at Cat, look at me, I think is an homage to his other characters, the Joker in this case, and, yeah, and whatnot. Is that, have you seen that part? Uh, yeah, yeah. when he, just before he kicks her. Um, yeah, could could well be. I've never thought about it, to be honest. Um, but yeah. He screams it almost almost the exact same way. Eh, yeah, you know, could be a borrowed line. Who knows? Maybe Sator was inspired. Maybe Sator saw the Batman trilogy. Was like, you know what? I like the Joker character. I'm gonna scream at yeah, Cat in yeah. this way. And maybe I wouldn't was, put uh, it past Kenneth Branagh to do something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We haven't even gotten into the actual people behind the characters. Phenomenal cast, by the way. Of course, they're just amazing. Let's let's key in that uh, a bit later. But let's talk about the car chase scene. Hmm. I've watched it from multiple angles, actually. A lot of things happening in there. That's the most complex scene, in my opinion. There's a lot of complexity elsewhere with the plane and the crash and stuff, but that scene is the one where you have the temporal pincer, which we haven't mentioned yet. This idea of using time forwards and backwards with, you know, essentially knowledge that you have knowledge in the future to send back so you do things a certain way. This, This sort of like... I don't know if you can do that. Uh, if you don't have inversion, you can't do temporal pincers, right? You have to do it with – you could do a pincer, but just not with time. Yeah. Right? And so, I actually have a continuity question when we're ready to start talking about that. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know where to open that up, but, I mean, just by saying that's – did anyone else enjoy that that scene? Yes. Yeah, I love it. Really, really yes. good. Especially the all way right, the, all the pieces all, sure. all fall together. Because you've basically got one team moving forward – and relaying what happens right. to the team moving backwards mm-hmm. so they know what's going to happen in the next couple of minutes. And they still Which I don't understand up. how they communicate that. I, I guess if you communicate it, I guess they constantly are just like paying attention to like call logs. Do they, are they hackers? Do they have they hacked into no, the Verizon so, or something like that? To like yeah, so they go get through, these messages. They go through the whole thing. The, the team moving forward goes through the whole thing and gets to the – so say it's a 10-minute block. They go through the whole thing get to the end of the 10 minutes, pass the information to the people moving backwards, and then just say, this is what happens. So those people are now moving 
from 10 to 0 knowing what happens and then when they get to the start when they get to 0 they then tell the people moving forward what happens mm. if you view it as one timeline it makes sense if you view it as one person basically moving forward 10 minutes getting to 10 minutes stopping and then just moving backwards back to 0 it all, it all makes sense Huh. It's so just reverse saying. post, right? <laughs> yeah. You just you you just go forward, write yourself a note, give it in the inversion post office. They go back and then deliver the note to you yeah. at the beginning. Like, hey, by the way, this is what's about to happen to you. Watch out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Paul, how many viewings did it take you to simplify it that much? Uh, about like, did you get that right four, away, or was it like yeah, two about or six? Four. Just viewing as a that loop. does make it sound more simple than what I was yeah, watching. Just for yeah, it just it it is very like I said earlier. It is just very simple, but people overcomplicate in their minds to try and think of it beyond what it is, and it is just well because you're also trying to figure it out as it yeah, goes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When you're first watching it, so you're like you don't understand that that's what's happening. You're trying to figure out what is yeah. happening. It, yeah. It's like a, a, a racetrack basically with say say we put loads of obstacles on a racetrack um you you'd run through it normally you jump over those things and then when you get to the end of the racetrack if someone just said turn around and run back through that you'd already know which obstacles were coming and how to tackle them um and that's basically it time is the racetrack in this scenario the runner hit right. their perception doesn't change they just see things moving backwards and it can't it change. It can't change, no. It's right. already happened Mm-mm. because it's just happened that way. This is what kind of, I think, why Neil throughout the film multiple times really emphasizes when people ask him these kind of questions. Yeah. And he just kind of like, yeah, stop asking. What's happened happen? I, yeah. I, I don't agree with any of this. You can change the past or the future. It is what it is. Just don't don't make your life, don't make your head hurt. Just let it go. Yeah. Well, it's, it's basically reverse mm-hmm. entropy is just in physics, an action happens and then a reaction spirals out from it um and it's basically just that reversed where it's the reaction goes back to the action so molecules exploding or firing like firing something of confetti it's basically just the confetti going back into the party popper is it it's basically (laughs) just that the the, you can't change what has happened essentially it's going to go back to where it came exactly yeah Apparently, you can put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. Right. Well, which yeah. which really, you know, is a bender whenever you think about the – and I suppose the, the characters in real time of the movie are not aware that they can't change. They're constantly trying to fight against this inability to change mm-hmm. what happened, right? So they will use temporal pincers and they will still give themselves – you know, this information, but what they don't understand is that it really happened that way no matter how many times they try to temporal pincer themselves out of a situation to give themselves more information to change, yeah. it's going to happen that way no matter what anyways. So yeah. it's almost like resistance is futile to the events of life, I suppose. Cause yeah, but the, the funky thing to think about here is from their perspective, it's resistance. But from the perspective of the universe and time, it's not, right? Just because right. you happen to think that you are trying to make a decision here doesn't mean it actually happens, right? Like this is the full, mm-hmm. th- I mean, this is the whole thing behind determinism and this is where the philosophy degree in me is coming out. Um, Please do. You yeah, think I there's you gotta... free will, right? And you think you're making a decision and you fight so hard against it. And the thought that you're having about free will right, that free will right now 
really isn't occurring in terms of a choice of having that thought. It actually already was decided, and that's the head trip, right? The point that you're having a head trip is not because you chose to have that head trip. It, it was already predetermined. It just happens to be the way the universe was predetermined up front, based on physics, that you're going to have this thought, and it's going to happen to lead into you having this revelation and having your head hurt and all that. So same thing here. You might think you're having trying to make these decisions to fight against it, but it was all predetermined anyway that you're going to have this fight, and that was the way it was going to be. And it just happens mm -hmm. to be that it was predetermined you're going to have these thoughts about trying to fight it and whether you could or not and all that. And it really was all just completely just laid out, just stamped right on the ground. That's the time, right? That's all the events that are going to occur, right? Yeah. If you've watched Loki, uh, another spoiler alert. The, the whole like timeline thing, right? Like I haven't seen Loki, so don't spoil too much. Okay, there, It's all about, <laughs> it comes up in episode one. It's all about a time, about time, right? And timelines. But you have to think about, it's not a continuation going backwards and forward. That's for our, it's for our simple brains to comprehend. But from the perspective of the way this movie tells it, time and all the events has just basically been stamped down all at once. And it's locked in, and it's going to happen that way no matter what. And we go through it, no matter. It's, we go through a done thing, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. It's time is simply traveled through. You know. Yeah. That's just because we yeah, view it physics and that kind of stuff and entropy. That's that is kind of how it is. Like it's going to be this way, and we are just the burden. We're just burdened with actually traveling through time. Yeah. yeah. If you could zoom all the way out and look at the entire timeline of the universe, according to this film, and look at it all at once, that's it. It's done. It's predetermined. Yeah. There's no moving forwards and backwards in terms of inversion. It's all occurred, all the thoughts, all that stuff. There's no question. It just is done. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be living it in a very linear or in the fact of this movie, inverted way on the timeline. But just because that's and our the, perspective. Even as we change in that living, it actually isn't changing the timeline. We're just simply doing what the timeline already says we're going to do. All right. Because as um, Adam, I think you point out with the video you saw, like the vertical line. Once again, ex the experience right. of the time passing forward from our perspective, all that stuff still just happening exactly when it's supposed to happen as it was predetermined to happen. Mm -hmm. It's just, once again, our perspective is only at that line. Yeah. It is understanding different scenarios in the film is about understanding whose perspective is in place currently. You yeah. Know, and what, from what perspective it is. Well, everything, you, you, I mean, you can kind of boil it even down to a psychological level of determinism where you know something from your past has created the personality that you have and therefore if you were a master analyst you could probably take someone and study them and say this is all the choices that they're going to make in their life um and that they're just going going to go on a path because of this one action back when they were a child mm -hmm. Um, it's just like rolling a log down a, a hill. You know, it's going to hit the bottom the, the because of the action at the start that pushed it. Um, and if you kind of take that on a more complex level, every single person has personality traits that have been developed from when they were younger. And if you could take that person's life and map out exactly how every single thing's going to happen because of the way that they act and the choices that they'll make, and then do that on a grand scale to where every single person is kind of interacting with that map. You, you could map out everything and just see how it's all just one big plan. By the way, if this thought of the world being pre preordained and all that bothers anyone, go read up on soft determinism. It'll make you feel a little better. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 
Well, <clears throat> I'm just trying to figure out what I was predetermined to say next. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're an imperfect being, Jared. You don't get to know that. Okay, good. You just, you just do it because it happened already. Yeah, sorry. for nothing, bro. Yeah, sorry. It's I, just I, I didn't write the laws of physics. It's just the domino effect. You, you knock down a domino, and with all the other pieces set up in place, it's just going to carry on going. Um, and if you had, you know, dominoes that crisscross on and interact with each other on different lines, that's basically human mm-hmm. humans interacting. So while we're talking humans, I'm going to soften this conversation <laughs> a little bit. Why do we never learn the protagonist's name? And as a follow-up to that, why is his character not super fleshed out? I mean, he seems to me to be maybe the least interesting yeah. person in the movie. No, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I, I don't know if that's to do with, you know, there is the argument that you can, the, the grandfather paradox um, doesn't exist and that you can travel back in time. And I'm guessing that it's sort of the, the Terminator scenario where if you did know the protagonist's name, you could just travel back in time and kill him. Um, mm. And the only way that they actually realize that the protagonist is the is the protagonist is because of the, the suicide test with the pill. Um, and that's the only way that they know. So, you know, if... if if there are people from the future working in the past and they know that he is important to the future, they might try and change things. And they might be like, oh, well, I know this guy is a good guy, so I'm going to try and get in early and get a promotion in Tenet. So the only the only time that people from the future start interacting with him is after the, the suicide pill situation. And it's not long after that he meets Neil. Um, now, Neil could have... You know, Neil even does sort of, in a way, protect him at the opera because he shoots that guy, um, and mm-hmm. that has yeah, a question about that. Yeah, too, that has so. quite a big knock-on effect for the protagonist. Um, yeah, so I think it's just keeping things as ignorant as possible. If things aren't set in stone, then it'll just stop people trying to interact with the past and change things. Yeah, I was thinking even too, like how no one calls him a name. Yeah, like even just really me, like when he calls from far away, he's like uh, he never says. I got co- yeah. hey Jared or hey Paul or hey 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 Bright. You know, it just you know, just talks to him. He does never really reference a name. Yeah, I got called a racist on one of my videos um, by someone who said they hadn't seen the film and they were just like, "Why do you keep calling the black character the protagonist and then everyone else has a name?" And I was like. That, that's like how it is in the movie. You just I think watch the movie. his name in the credits. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, there is no name. Yeah. Does he need by one? The, by the way, the scientist is named Barbara in on IMDb. Okay, so that yeah. is that right? Yeah. Does he need a name though? That is, I think Tenet is. It's not like Inception. You. It's more about the physics and the mechanics of the movie rather than the characters. Um. You know, there's mm-hmm. not really any character growth the the protagonist feels very much the same as how he was at the start of the movie as do most of the characters and i think nolan it's basically just a live action puzzle that you have to figure out rather than being a a film with a emotional heart and a complex you know character development and stuff like that 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is kind of why the film feels like it almost kind of skips the first act partially. Yeah. Like you start part way in act one and it feels kind of right. almost, I think this is when you start to hear about the reviews where it feels kind of like rushed or not quite as fleshed out of a film as other film, yeah. Nolan films, especially is yeah. As Paul just said, is you just don't develop the main character you're staring at most of the time. And so it feels really odd that you're kind of just suddenly thrown into the whole thing of, oh, I'm now in a wind turbine and now I'm suddenly doing this thing. And it's just like there's not a lot of discussion of who this person is and all this. And it's just kind of like you're just flowing along because, once again, as Paul said, it's really a heist film with weird time. And that's really the focus of this whole thing. Yeah. Not the people. Yeah. Even the uh, even the initial scenario at the I believe they call them free ports at the airport. Mm -hmm. Even that initial scenario, like all the planning for, which we haven't even mentioned, this gigantic plane from a, you know, orchestration standpoint of the film, instead of doing CGI, they actually bought the plane. Yeah. They bought a plane. It was cheaper to do, to buy the plane and crash a real plane into a building than it was to do CGI. So software has to get better. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what it is, essentially. CGI is costing, very, very costly. Maybe it's the people, maybe it's the software. I don't know what yeah. it is, but either way. But they, they go on about in the movie how environmentally, how the environment's destroyed in the future, and then they're destroying a big big plane instead of just doing it on a computer. Right. You can only yeah, imagine exactly. what the carbon footprint on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that whole scenario, though, if you play it back and you think about why it even exists, is because is he's trying to, the protagonist is, is, is my version of he, the protagonist is trying to protect Kat from the scenario she's mm -hmm. in, and to do so... He has agreed to steal the drawing, which is what Sador holds over her and essentially has her enslaved in this relationship. I'm not sure if that's exactly real slavery, but she's she's compelled to stay there because of her relationship with her son and the stronghold he has over their lives. And so he's trying to the protagonist is trying to save her by stealing this thing back. It's such an elaborate way to steal back a drawing. Yeah. They crash a plane yeah. <laughs> into a building to go in and steal this drawing back. And what they actually find is turnstiles that invert time. They meet old versions of themselves, essentially. And, you know, because they're going back to where they began, the entropy is essentially reversing at that point. But I think that's interesting from a plot line that they, the whole reason why the, all that happened, the, all the orchestration, their, um, you know, sort of planning this, this, uh, like he meets with Priya, they walk around, they're doing all this sort of like dialogue that jumps around from scene to scene. Cause that's one thing too, where they'll be talking about one part of the plan in one scene and then jump to a whole new scene. And now they're continuing the conversation. That was a, a joke, I believe on my, uh, second favorite YouTube channel mm. screen rant with, uh, <laughs> uh what, what the heck is that show called again? Uh, why am I blanking on it? Because it's only your pitch second meeting. favorite. Pitch meeting. Yeah, that's right. Pitch meeting is like my, I told you this a thousand times, like pitch meeting is my second favorite because Paul's stuff is my favorite, of course. No doubt. Uh, he's here. I have to yeah, say that, too, but yeah. it, it's definitely good. <clears throat> but I watch a pitch meeting. I watch a like, like, especially if I've seen the movie, I'll watch Nth Degree, but uh, it, it's all just to simply steal this drawing. Yeah. It's crazy. But it's also to learn that there, there is a turnstile there as well. Sure, the undercurrent is, but the but the real thrust, the reason they're doing it, is the drawing. Yeah. Right, and it's elaborate. Yeah. Crash a plane, throw a bunch of gold bars up. But the that's back. because like, the security at the Freeport is that elaborate 
if it was just a, right. a shop with a, a safe in the back, they wouldn't be crashing a plane. He just met this person, though. He just met Kat. And he feels compelled enough to do that kind of elaborate of a scheme. But, despite, you know, what he does or doesn't know yet about Tenet. Like, it, from a watcher's point of view, yeah. and I think this is one love of film, sure. But then as a an empathizer of those who haven't, who probably would love the movie if they could just get past a, a certain few things before even watching it. Which is why I think my perspective is that you should watch this movie you probably need to watch it several times, at least twice, yeah, definitely. maybe three times to really enjoy it. If you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. One time is going to be a real challenge to enjoy it. And so like he just meets Kat and agrees to save her somehow by stealing his drawing, this elaborate heist. Like it's quite elaborate for somebody. If I just met you, Paul, I'm like, dude, I'm going to go and I'm going to crash plane into a Do building it. to help you. But I just met you. <laughs> but right. Do it. I don't <laughs> think it's necessarily done just to save Kat, just to be a nice person. I think he's doing it to save Kat to then have her on side to then help with Sator. Yeah, exactly. Because he needs to get the plutonium. And he, well, he needs to do that exchange with him. So this is definitely the next move. You're right. Okay, that's a good point. He didn't even know because plutonium, though. It was just inside, right? He's at the point when he meets with Kat at the restaurant and agrees to do this for her. Is just, I need an in with this person. Okay, so I'm going true. to do what I, I can. And this is the only thing I can think of that can save you because your life is so controlled by your husband there's nothing you can do. You're screwed anyway. But if I do this, I win you over so much, you will probably do anything for me and you can help make this happen. Right. And so I'm going to go steal this piece of art at the Freeport and... Um, and you'll be free. Yeah. Free to help me. That's a good point. Okay, so there's there's a bigger plot. I'm minimizing the plot. Uh, I, will, I will take that one for sure. A lot of calls to even the James Bond, James Bond aspect, 007... You know, Paul, I know you mentioned it being a heist. You know, there's a lot of, um, and I'm not sure, is there a lot of stealing in James Bond? I think it's, is it is a lot of the plot line? What, what is the plot line usually of James Bond? Yeah. Meet is, a it, villain. is it theft? A lot of the time. Steal it's a money. Villain, sure. Okay, it's a villain. Sometimes. Super villain. Mass destruction. Yeah, James Bond got to stop. Right. Right. I feel like there's more stealing and then you got, Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, Mission Impossible is more st- more theft. Yeah, they are. That's always some sort of get in there, get into the vault. Steal the bomb. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some mulligan they're trying to... Or Mc- you have Mc- Sir Mc- Michael Caine in this, who's obviously, you know, British. There's even some... Uh, I don't know if it's been you, Paul, or someone else that mentioned that uh, Ives' character could potentially be yeah. Sir Michael. Yeah. You know, there's some things there, but this throwback to, you know, 007, like... In terms of Christopher being inspired, he wanted to do, you know, a, uh, you know, sort of a, a 007 espionage type film. Yeah. Despite it being also heist, mm-hmm. very heist-like. Yeah. Which it is very much his Bond film. But, you know, it's spies, it's secret agents, um, mm-hmm. just even the some of the scenes like this, the sailing scene. Um, that's very James that's true, Bondian yeah. where the villain kind of takes yeah, him is. into his house and treats him like a guest um, and then you've got yes. the big base I insist big, he yeah, says the big, you must stay for dinner yeah the big base at the end um, you've got a car chase in it it is very James Bondian it's all kind of sophisticated mm-hmm. spies as well like him getting a suit and mm-hmm. dealing with things in a gentlemanly manner it, Brooks Brothers won't work around here yeah mm-hmm. exactly you gotta, you, gotta get, you gotta get some better threads and even the basically. femme fatale uh, um, in Cat it's, it is very James Bondian. Yeah. 
So reimagine this movie with James Bond in the lead mm-hmm. role. Pick your favorite Bond, Daniel Craig, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery, whoever you like. Better movie or worse movie? Like actually throw James Bond right in there, replace him with the protagonist. I think Boom. probably a better movie, to be honest. But I just really like James Bond movies. Yeah, I'm with, yeah. I'm with you on that But one. it's interesting, though. Because the charisma, yeah. that's the thing that's lacking from the protagonist, yeah. is like Bond charisma and interest. The other thing, though, is it does solve the that. problem of that feeling of like you're missing half an opening act because right. if it's Bond, yeah, you already so have the backstory. You don't need it. You've been filled in so many times mm-hmm. that you'd be able to be much more willing to just leap into it yeah. and just but Bond, go with it running versus who is this person? Why? Yeah. What's their backstory? Why are they doing this? Yeah, totally. James Bond movies, you get away with doing zero character development. Like I don't think Bond's even had that much character development over the space of 60 years or whatever it's been. He's just a spy. Just Mm-mm. go send him out on the mission. He's like an architect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's just enough to have over time just kind of through osmosis learn what the personality is. Yeah. So we just kind of it know what cars. to expect. Yeah. Jewelry. Yeah. Expensive trips. <laughs> yachts. A lifestyle. You know. Hitting on secretaries. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a. That is interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's my main thing. Like. I had a hard time tracking because it was just the first watch. I love Christopher Nolan movies. And the one that, the thing that I felt like this was lacking, and Paul, I think you explained it very well, where it's more plot driven, it's more this inversion and the idea and the layers, which I'm now getting a better grasp on and enjoying, than it is the characters and the people and the mm-hmm. motivations. And that's why, I mean, even my favorite Nolan movie, Memento, which I haven't seen for years, but I just, I love that movie. I don't mind not knowing much about the character at the beginning, which we don't intend it at all. But like you learn about that character as yeah. his history is revealed to him throughout the movie. Yeah. And whereas he was here, I just never feel like I learned anything about the protagonist yeah. really. But that but, is kind of the theme of the film as well, where you're not meant to know. Yeah. Every, everything's quite deliberate in Nolan, the way that he's yeah. handled the story and. Ignorance is their ammunition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It plays out. That's why, that's really why I like this film so much is, is obviously less about the character development because there's not really yeah. much. It's really the, the infinite layers that the director has done such a great job of like orchestrating because even that like alone, the fact that we don't know much about the protagonist is played out in the core theory of, of you know, the core tenet of the movie. Ignorance, is there any ammunition that knowledge divided? Like you don't know much about the protagonist. And I would even wonder, you know, because I've seen John David Washington in other films like Black Klansman and other other films he's done. And there's one on Netflix that I haven't watched. Paul, you may know this one. It's brand new that um, you probably got an early release of it or something like that. I mean, you probably already watched it twice. Um, I plan to watch it. So let's just say I'm a fan. And so John David Washington is the son of Denzel Washington, my Probably one of my favorite actors ever, yeah. like as a human being and as an actor. I think Denzel is just phenomenal. So if his son He's follows awesome. in those footsteps, even if he has half the talent, which I imagine he has a lot more. I'm not trying to minimize John David Washington by any means, but just saying like Denzel is just so good as an actor that I wonder if, you know, if that's the point, like you had said before, like if that's the point of the, the movie, we don't know much about him and there isn't much charisma, maybe, maybe because he was directed to act in that way, not because the actor himself is incapable of giving us those layers. Cause I've seen other films. He's great. 
you know, it, I don't think it's for lack of ability and acting. I think it's just simply the storyline that we get yeah. limited in what we can know about the character. Yeah, I don't think he did a bad job. And I don't think it, he's uncharismatic. There just isn't much meat on the on the bones. So it wasn't like he's dislikable in the movie at all. I think he's it's got a lot of phenomenal much. lines. I think another like, way to potentially also view this is he is, I, I, I don't remember if they actually specifically say CI agent, but... Such such as an agent of some secretive organization, pre-tenant, of not giving away who you are and not really um, exposing anything about yourself, right? Which is why those mm-hmm. moments with Neil, where they joke and, he, and the protagonist actually smiles, is very much a uh, telling moment when that happens a couple times that, okay, Neil is a very important person. He's not uh, just kind of fluff off character and that actually he has some meaning to the protagonist. And that's when it comes in and kind of very much is shown to be an important person. So I think part of it might also, as you said, been on purpose and not because John David Washington can't act, but very much a in character of the, of a secretive agent who has to conceal who they are and not leak anything and very much be very stoic constantly to not give anything away. Thus like that all the time, except in private moments with Neil where he starts to feel relaxed and slowly befriend this person, which makes that end scene with Neil where he says, I know that from your perspective, this is the end of our friendship, but for you, this is the beginning of a beautiful one. Just that much more mm-hmm. kind of heart wrenching where it's like he starts off his relationship seriously with this person going off to die basically. Yeah. And yeah. So there's a potential <sighs> layer of that. Mm hmm. I was, uh, I was going to share a couple lines that I like that, uh, John David Washington's character got to say in this film. I think they're pretty awesome moments as well. So the protagonist, uh, early on at the restaurant, prior to the initial heist to get the the art back, is encountered by several thugs essentially in a kitchen. He says, I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. I think that's the best best line ever. Can I just Um, say the cheese grater in that fight scene really hurt when I watched that? Gosh, man, yeah, that's that really. I really feel that cheese grater. What Uh. was that, Paul? Did I hear you or somebody else say that that was uh, ad libbed? That like John David's character was just. Oh, I've got no idea. He might have, yeah. Through the, I thought you had. I thought it was. You know, I've watched a lot of uh, not just heavy spoilers, but others as well. So sorry about that. But you know, a lot of people have done some stuff. But I I thought I heard that uh, that he. Ad lib that essentially. Yeah. That, you know, he's in a kitchen. I'm just going to grab something. I'm in a fight scene. I'm going to act out. That would be a challenging one. Maybe he initially grabbed it and then, like, let's do this safely. Yeah. Let's do, use a rubber cheese yeah. grater. I hope you know, so. Maybe that could be it. But I heard that was um, that was uh, ad lib essentially. I don't know if you can ad lib an action or not, but because that's. Not well, maybe while they were rehearsing. Right. As you said, someone saw that and, like, you know, what would really add to this scene. Yes, if you use that cheese grater to scrape his face off, essentially, as part of the fight scene. Um, The other one I liked a lot from him was when he first sits down at that dinner. And he sits down and he talks to Sator and he talks about the opera house. And Sator skips it all. He's like, I'm going to kill you, essentially. I'm going to paraphrase what Sator says. But he says, Sator describes how he's going to kill him and what he's going to do. And, you know, he's going to do something to his throat and put something in there. Essentially, I'm not going to be crass about it. But he says, uh, he says, how long do you want to live? He says... He says, how would you like to die? He said, how do you want to die? What does he say back? I didn't write it down. I don't have notes on this one. What did he say? 
He said old. Yeah. Old, yeah. Like, what a great response. Mm -hmm. How do you want to die? Old. And then he's describing this action to his throat, and he's like, complex. Just one word, complex. That was awesome. Those are two. Anybody else got any fun lines they enjoyed from that character or others? Um, yeah. I just appreciate you think my memory is that good to remember those individuals. Yeah, lines. I can't even remember, oh. remember, and I watched it yesterday. <laughs> Your 20th viewing. Yeah. Kind of lines. So I like when Ive says, uh, he says, where'd he go? John Davis' character says, where'd he go? The the protagonist says, where'd he go? In terms of the first turnstile situation when they go into the car mm. chase. So this is actually post-car chase, which is technically going in if you're going inverted. He says, where'd he go? He goes, the past. The past yeah. That's his response. Like, where'd he go? The past. Which is kind of interesting to think about. Like, you just saw them. And they went through this door, and they're not anymore they're in because the moment they're actually going you. back in yeah. the past. Yeah. Which is a pretty interesting thing. Yeah. Okay, I hogged the ball on that one. Then I got a couple of favorite lines, of course. <laughs> um, Any more, Adam? I know we're short-ish on time. I want to go into some continuity. So I have mine teed up, Brett. Unless you've got yours teed up, we yeah. can go with yours first. But I've got a good break in the film's continuity. If you're in the notes, you can see it. So uh, maybe read ahead. Maybe it's just lack of understanding and an inversion and such. But so for me, the one thing that caught me the. Um, a little bit the first time I watched it and it really caught me the second time is in the car chase scene. So they start in their car that is uh, not flashy, but fast. And I believe it's a BMW in the end because I'm right. sure BMW paid some money. Um, the uh, I can't can't remember what side of the road they were driving on in the film. I think they drive on the left side of the road. So the right side of the passenger, uh, the passenger side. Yeah. just gets in. Passengers on the right. Yeah. That side view mirror starts broken, right? And only after it gets hit by an inverted car does it suddenly not act broken. Yeah. Okay. Now, from my perspective, I think they're not driving an inverted car. But because of the action of the inverted car hitting it, it's broken post, uh, pre-hit from that car, right? Mm -hmm. So are you telling me they manufactured that car with a busted side view mirror and BMW let that through quality control? Yeah, it's not a very good... <laughs> It doesn't make sense. There's a bit as well where his arm starts bleeding just before they go to the airport. Right. Because he gets yeah, shot yeah, and that, that doesn't line up. Yeah, that doesn't line up at all. Right. So it's that, that, so that, that continuity thing always threw me because it's like, okay, I get the fact that inverted things haven't occurred, that haven't occurred yet from their perspective and thus haven't had the reaction that they're going to have. Yeah. But from that perspective on something, an inverted thing acting on a non-inverted thing, that doesn't make sense to me because how the heck does no one notice that from the manufacturer of that car? Like you literally would, how, it's, yeah. you can't reassemble it. So that part of the continuity story just, just doesn't, doesn't make well, sense to me. Let's play this out then since, Paul, you referenced the bleeding of the arm. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know when it begins, but I'm sure that uh, the protagonist character didn't always have a bleeding no. arm. Right, like it, no. Right, so it began to bleed essentially just, be just before yes, that scene, uh, as scene they took got place. closer to him being shot. Right, but to him that wouldn't mm -hmm. matter. So in that case, there's healing. So it's a body, unlike a car can't heal. So maybe that's the difference there. But I don't know. That's a, that's a really challenging yeah. one to to kind and of I can't explain. Get my head around it. Yeah, unless it's um, the bullet. Yeah, just and I don't know if it's one of those and ended up in his arm. And then when he goes it back, just be an oversight? when he goes back, the bullet goes back into the gun. 
Yeah, I think mm-hmm. this might be one of those cases where Nolan tried so hard to add little things to kind of help people's mental model while they watch the film, potentially only once, right? Like, we all might love it other than Jared enough to watch it more than once. He's going to watch it again, for sure. After this, he's watching it at least one more time. But the point is... is I probably will. As a filmmaker, did he make it purposely such that it might not be fully congruent to someone who only watches it once and that's just on them and he it has to be watched twice? Or did he try to add little things to try to make at least a single view enough so that Possible. thinking about it afterwards, you could potentially get um, what you needed out of it to have a general comprehension of the film, which would mean that they're potentially like the side view mirror thing, right? Yeah. Is more of a just, oh, if you catch it, it kind of explains kind of the influence of inverted things on non-inverted things. But once again, it leads to a nasty continuity thing for those of us who overanalyze this film to death such that we start to notice these little things and go, how the heck does that explain that? Yeah. Because right? mm-hmm. it's either, as Jared pointed out, a mistake and it wasn't fully thought through or it was on purpose and they just didn't worry about the continuity to that extent because they felt it was necessary to kind of just add an extra hint to one-time viewers. Well, I would as say in this case, then, since we've talked about it, what's happened happened. Yeah. Because, like, that that mirror is going to be broken. QA is going to let it pass. Somehow, some way, it's going to happen because it happened. They're going to be able to install it broken, too? Like, how do you install a broken side view mirror? Maybe it broke, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it came broken, yeah, you know, exactly. It it's, it's like it was, broken from manufacture. It's I, it, it is a challenge. For Maybe sure. that car has a sordid history. You know, it has a past. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm wondering. Oh, that's true. The Good only way there. to start arguing about this is like, is that car actually inverted? Neil's driving it inverted, but that's not yeah, brought up either. So, it, I mean, this is that thing where you start to conspiracy conspiracy theory contort your view of the world so much to try to make sense of it all. But we have to remember here. This right. is still a screenplay by a human being who is not perfect and honestly could have just messed up. Could have. Yeah, possibly. So since we have limited time, I have this bigger, what I think is a big break in the film's continuity. And so what I mean by that is when you are a filmmaker and you're directing a film, especially with this many layers, you want to pay attention to how a scene may flow to the next so that the person's wearing the same wrinkled shirt, has the same hairdo. Etc. Etc. Now, this one might require a visual in terms of going later, and it may be difficult to follow in real time, but I'll do my best to explain it. So, at an hour and 40 minutes into the movie, inverted pro- protagonist and Neil, they come out of the Connex, and this is this is them coming with Cat on the gurney. So, they're running, uh, everyone, they're inverted, and yeah, they're inverted essentially. They're running towards the airport. Oh, okay, so they're and, going. T- so this is when they get out of the container to go right. into the freeport to invert Cat back around because she's been healing for a week. E- exactly. And so when they're inverted, and they're running towards the airport, at an hour and forty minutes in, they, they, their path is crossed by this ambulance with a license plate, and this is what makes it possible to go back and sort of like confirm the breaking continuity. The license plate on the ambulance has. Uh, is ZX04712. And they pass it, um, they pass it on their left as they head into the airport. Now, the conflict is is what actually happens at an hour and 45 minutes when they're moving forward again and they are running back. Uh, 
the ambulance with the same license plate passes in front of their previously inverted selves. So in one scene going through, so if what's happened happened, uh, in one version of that same scene, the forward version, the backward version, the inverted version, the they don't pass the ambulance, but on the other version, they do pass the ambulance. So the ambulance passes in front of them. Something happened there. I'm wondering if that's just simply continuity or if that's literally part of the story. Yeah, I think it's just... Oh, did you catch that bunny chance? Yeah, I think they just messed up properly. I, st- I still yeah. view yeah. it as very much okay, everything cool. that's meant to happen happened. Um, so, yeah, I think they just messed up. Which mm-hmm. will happen in I movies. I think you have great, a very good attention to detail, Adam. And yeah. better well, than potentially the poor person who had to try to I keep just all caught the continuity it. You know, I just happened to catch it. I'm like, what is this? What For real? Okay. Because on one scene, the, the ambulance passes in front of them. You know, or actually the, the forward version. of They pass in front of the ambulance, which would have been them driving away. Because they drove away in the ambulance. And when they drove away in the ambulance, they didn't, when they drove away, they didn't cross in front of them their old selves. Like, they didn't see their old selves as they drove away in the ambulance. And so go back and watch that, Paul. I'm curious okay. if some homework. Yeah, I'll try to check it out. If you caught that or if you see what I see, because that's quite interesting, personally. All right, we got probably two minutes or so. Any other major takeaways? Paul, yourself, Brett, Jared, I've shared a lot. So. Watch it as many times as you can. You'll get your head around it eventually. <laughs> and it gets better on repeat Is there a recommended viewings, watch count? 5, 10, 15, 20? Yeah, I'd say third viewing. It gets really good. It, it requires repeat viewings, I think. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. First viewing is just realizing what's going on and what you have to pay attention to. Second so go, go through is you start to pick up a little more subtleties because you don't yeah. have to pay attention to every single word. Mm-hmm. And then at the third point, I can see you going like, oh, well... I know what to expect. I've picked up on a lot of the salties, and now I can really just stare at the scenery and really not listen to what the heck they're saying because yeah. I know basically what they're saying and what is not is and is not critical. And I'm sure at that point it's very much just a look at the license plates of the ambulances. <laughs> yeah. Right. And pay attention to who's inverted and who's not as you're seeing yeah. things. Like just paying attention to some of the details is, uh, is yeah. enough. Well, yeah, that's because that's the interesting thing, right? Like when you watch the opening scene, you see Neil... Uh, save the protagonist while inverted. And you start to realize, like, well, okay, he at some point in the future realizes who the protagonist is, goes all mm-hmm. the way back to save him. But the other interesting thing is that he also then has to go back forward and somehow almost catch up. And like, this is where you really start to want to, like, map out the timeline in terms of people's moving back and forth because you realize that if Neil goes all the way that far back, he's still got to move all the way forward and catch up potentially to where things are happening in the future, such that you mean people moving yeah. backwards ends up there. And it's like, you really start to want to map out just how the, the sliders are he all He has to moving. be a master time weaver to be in different places at the same time. So we'll end on this. He has to be a, Neil has to be a master time weaver because he has to be at Stoss 12 to die. Yeah. He has to be at Stoss 12 for all the reasons he has to be there. Mm-hmm. He has to drag them out of that hole. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Stoss 12 explosion is happening during the opera scene. So, Neil has to be a master time weaver to make his to, the entire movie happen, really, essentially, because he's such a key character in all the things that happened. So that's that's interesting to me and a good reason if you like that kind of film to watch it three times or more to use Paul's recommendation. Paul, thank you for joining yeah, us to you. make this episode of Backstage slightly more interesting because I think we would have done well without you. But it would have been less fun, let's just say. We wouldn't have been able to go as deep as you have. So 
Thank you for sharing your time. Yeah. Thank What's you. uh, is it youtube.com slash heavy spoilers? What is the URL to just search for heavy spoilers on YouTube? And I should come straight up. Easiest way to do it. Search yeah. for heavy spoilers. Watch everything he does. I'm watching Kingdom Thanks to you, Paul. So yeah, it's great. Appreciate your recommendation on that. No problem. And, uh, anything else you want to say, Paul, before we go? No, thanks for having me on. I always love talking about Tenet. So, yeah, thank you. It was, uh, it was awesome having you. Thank you. Yeah, take care. That's it for Backstage. Thanks for tuning in. It was awesome talking Tenet with Jared, Paul, and Brett. Thanks again to Paul for making time to join us. If you want to check out his channel on YouTube, just search for Heavy Spoilers and subscribe. Paul puts out some awesome videos. I mentioned on the show, I'm watching Kingdom on Netflix. Thanks to his recommendation. He also recently posted a Spider-Man No Way Home official trailer breakdown, the Dune official trailer, an ending explain video for the Tomorrow War, and a ton of other awesome videos I'm sure you'll love. Hey, we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.